This is Impact Healthcare, people and strategies that are disrupting the health benefits industry. And now, here's your host, healthcare benefits industry expert and the originator of the transparent health benefits movement, Lester Morales. Hello, Impact Healthcare crowd. Happy 2022. We are recording this in January, and I am super excited to talk to this guest because, quite honestly, um, she's a little bit of a celebrity in our advising space. Uh, She won't think so, and uh, she's now married to another celebrity, so it's a power couple. We're going to have to come up with some uh, celebrity name, but I've got Emma Fox uh, on the line. Emma, say hello to our Impact Healthcare crowd introduce yourself. And what I typically find, and I know you and I are going to share a common story in this about your why, but I come, I find that the people that are swimming upstream like salmon, they have a story behind what drives them. What's your driving factor? What's your why? Well, hi. I don't know if I can match that energy. I got to be honest with you. It's the middle of the week. I'm not I'm not there yet, but wow. Um, I didn't expect to be this pumped up. Um, thank you so much for having me. What's my why? Um, you know, I haven't talked about this very often, but it's uh, it's really been my own personal experience with with healthcare um, from incurring massive medical debt back uh, in 2005 from an unexpected incident and not being able to get out from under it. And we talk about it a lot. I've seen you talk about it on stages about how frequent people are filing medical bankruptcy. And I had to do that myself not so long ago. And I realized that it impacts uh, everybody from all walks of life. And since I had to do that, once I got over the unfounded shame of it all, um, it really fueled me to start helping people as much as I could through consulting. So, you know, what's interesting about this, um, you know, the the story I always tell, obviously, is my my parents had to file bankruptcy. Um, And you and I talked about this. I used to, and I think the stigma of bankruptcy comes that the person's buying too many Louis Vuitton bags or is, you know, living over their skis. Um, But that's not the case. It is hardworking Americans that are doing all of the right things that especially in the stats, 67% of personal bankruptcies are because of medical-related incidences. And most of those people have insurance. So they're hardworking people. They have jobs. They have insurance. But the reality of it is the average person doesn't have five, ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 in the bank while they're trying to send their kids to baseball camp and buy them Air Jordans. In my case, they were buying me Z Cabaricis. And so, you know, you you see that and you're like, holy cow. What um, if you could, if you'd like, just start off, you like teaching. If you could like say that one thing right now and somebody is dealing with that same thing, what, what would you look back and say, man, if I could do this over again, I would. Um, I would say do it right away. And, and it's hard, right? Because you're, you're absolutely right. Filing bankruptcy has this stigma attached to it. Like you don't make enough money or you're not a good steward of your finances or you don't have your life together. But I had a hit and run accident in 2005 when I was carrying my first child. 
it was not my fault. I was insured. I had an employer group health plan, but I just couldn't at that point in my life, couldn't afford what I was incurring. And the problem is if you wait, you, you incur more and there's interest and it builds and it builds and you cannot get out from under it. And I waited 12 years to file bankruptcy when I finally said, I just, I even now I can't catch up. So my advice to anyone struggling is first of all, reach out to an advocate. There's so many of us, um, especially in this industry, but don't delay, don't put it off. Don't let the shame stop you from getting out from under that heaviness. And, you know, one of the podcasts that is uh, recorded and we're waiting to release it is uh, our friend, uh, you know, who's got a book around this, Never Pay the First Bill, right? And, and the number of things and strategies that you could do in order to, you know, kind of alleviate this. But it's so funny with like so many things in our business, there's so many things that you could do, but, but nobody tells us. It's just like, mm-hmm. just like, you got to like stumble across it or be the small percentage of, of people. Um, you know, I, I want to switch gears, Emma. And, and first of all, thank you for sharing that story. I mean, the whole goal I have with these podcasts is so that people understand like the stuff that we talk about is real. Like it's real. It's every day. People are going through it, but there's so much we can do to help. So if that, you know, helps one person out there, I think, you know, you should be proud that you did your job and being an advocate for others. And, I know even in your professional career, you guys spend your own money to alleviate debt of others. Why don't you talk about that? Because I think it's an amazing, amazing thing. Yeah, we do. Thank you for bringing that up. I would have totally forgotten about that, but we do. We, um, you know, I, I will even, I'll go on to Reddit sometimes if anyone's familiar with Reddit and I'll look at some of the subreddits, especially around health insurance. And it's almost always people who are struggling with some kind of healthcare costs. And I'll just reach out to people and I'll offer them help and I'll tell them what a financial assistance program is and I'll help them through the steps of of getting through that process and eliminating their debt because they just don't know what they don't know. And then about every quarter we run uh, a fundraiser, which we'll be doing at our symposium too, to donate to RIP medical debt too. So we're constantly looking for those opportunities to serve, like give back to the community and serve people. I mean, you know, again, have two people on this phone who have lived it. Uh, you know, it, it's, a, it, it, I mean, the amount of people that will never see that are impacted on it just, I mean, it literally gives me chills thinking about it and it's the best way of doing it. It's not for any personal gratification. It's just literally because you've been there, you do it and you're and just a, a good human being. So, you know, thank you for, for, for doing that. Um, I want to switch gears because, you know, um, a, I would call it a motivating factor for you of being so meticulous in the way you approach, how you advise and educate people, uh, is struggling through things yourself. Like, like you have done it and, and you, you had a situation with your son, I, explain that whole thing and, 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 and what you had to go through, but more importantly, like how do you educate people now on, on how to not have to go through some of the things that you went through? Um, so my son, his name is Caleb. He's 11 now, about to be 12. And he was not diagnosed with autism, specifically Asperger's. I don't call it that anymore, but it, that's what it is. Um, he wasn't diagnosed until he was 10. And so for the first 10 years of his life, 
you know, we were constantly in and out of different specialists and, and different providers that weren't super familiar with him that, that kept telling us things like it's ADHD, it's ADD. He's not focused enough. He's not applying himself. You know, the environment's not right. It's his diet. Um, and finally, you know, and, and the frustration that comes along with that as a mom, when you know that your child can't flourish for, for reasons that you can't put your finger on exactly. Um, and he ended up getting diagnosed fairly late at, at the age of 10, but it was because of my direct primary care doctor. He knows me so well. And I remember bringing it up as a concern during my primary care appointment. You know, it was something that was causing me anxiety and distress. And I remember talking to him about it. And it was my direct primary care provider that said, I think you should see someone that might be able to diagnose something like autism. It wasn't my son's doctor. It was a direct primary care physician that had taken the time to sit with me at my appointment. And that's how my son ended up getting diagnosed. And, you know, we're two years from his diagnosis now. And I can't tell you how different his life is. It's, It's an incredible difference. So Emma, for, for the audience out there that might not understand the concept of direct primary care, walk us through kind of the 101 behind that. So direct primary care is a, generally a physician practice of so a primary care physician or, or a multitude of physicians that have decided to move away from the fee-for-service model. So they generally don't work with insurance or carriers. They don't file claims, but I call it the Netflix of doctors. They charge a monthly fee. It's a flat fee. And um, you go in, see them however much you like. And their, their goal, really, when you think about how they're uh, compensated, they get a lot more out of it if they keep you well, if you're not constantly in and out of their office. And so they're, they, they kind of turned around the incentives and said goodbye to traditional healthcare, but they're really remarkable physicians who have kind of decided to, to prioritize the care part of healthcare. So, so let, let's dig into that. So a normal doctor, I go to my doc today, he or she is compensated. The more they see me, the more things they do to me. And quite honestly, has never called me uh, ever and said, hey, by the way, I haven't seen you in five years. And I think it actually has been five years since I've been to the doctor. So, uh, so versus a membership based, I pay a fee on a monthly basis scenario. Does it matter how many times they see me? I have unlimited access to, but to your point, hey, if I'm keeping everybody well and they're not coming see me, they're still paying um, so it's a good deal, but, uh, you know, I don't have a, a DPC. I, I'm excited to, to one day do this, but I work with some, they spend more time with you. Like talk about like the, the, the concierge medicine part of it, like the, the warm and fuzzy pieces, more time, more stuff. Like talk about that piece. Yeah, they, they really do. So I can tell you my very first intake appointment with a DPC doc, um, was, two hours long. And I had never in my life spent that much time with a doctor who wasn't opening me up for surgery or something, you know, that I wasn't even there for, you know, physically right. aware for. Um, but they, they do. And they ask you questions like about, not just about your lifestyle, your nutrition, your, your physical activity, but your mental health. They really focus on what stresses you out, what triggers you, what's, what are sources of anxiety, who are your family members, you know, um, it's the most personal experience. And what's beautiful about that is once they get to know you, they spend so much time up front. When you do have something later that you need their help with, it's so much easier for them to diagnose. You can do things virtually. It's, it's, it's an incredible model. And to your point, 
they're incentivized to keep you well, not incentivized to keep you sick, which a lot of primary care doctors are stuck in systems where they're getting paid a lot more when you're coming in versus this model. So um, I just love the concept. Um, how prevalent is this DPC thing? So like for somebody who's who's not heard, I mean, is this something that's in every city, every town, or is this something that's relatively new? Like, like, like talk about that. There's, um, there's a few practices that have created, I hate to use the word network because you know, we're, we're not about that life, but, um, there's a few practices that are a little bit bigger, like peak med. There's, um, some regional practices, uh, like imagine MD. So I don't know that they're in every single city, but they're certainly picking up steam. Um, for us at ePowered, we will often use direct primary care memberships for small groups. And we'll couple that with cost sharing programs. Uh, we'll do it for individuals. And occasionally if a big group will let us, we'll embed it into a self-funded health plan as long as there's availability in their area. But I, I think it's, it's, um, it's a movement for sure. I, uh, I'm working with a group, Alara Care in Boston right now, uh, that is very regionally based, right? They're, they're there, they've got enough coverage there. And we've written five or six different employers already this year uh, using that as a fundamental. So everything is free as long as you go see them first and have that conversation. They're doing this here. It has been remarkable. And I was just up there, uh, Braden Monaco, another broker, uh, posted a, a picture on LinkedIn of he and I, you know, kind of in front of the building, but we did a 45 life employer of their metal fabricators. I mean, blue collar, most of them didn't speak English. And we did this meeting up middle of the shop floor. And to see the employees faces about how relieved they were because they had one point of contact, none of their cost was in the way their rates actually came down. It is one of those things that I know that you get to do that. Like, it just makes you proud about getting up every day and doing the, what is clearly the harder thing. Cause we should have just renewed them with Tufts and just called it a day. Right. And so that's a really interesting way. Um, I'm going back and thinking, man, you were a, you're not were a mother. You are a mother. You were, you were taking Caleb to the dock multiple times, blah, blah, blah. And we're sitting here in the great resignation. And I hate that stupid word, but the, the, the time <laughs> period that we are with employers and our audience members, a lot of them are employers or they're advisors that are talking to employers. And we're sitting here in a time period where um, it's hard to find good work and good people to come to work and, and keeping your people in talent is such a big deal. And so I think about this, I'm like, man, you know, Emma, an educated user of benefits and a knowledgeable person was having to deal with this. So I think about productivity and absenteeism and presenteeism and all those words. And I think about, you know, you had a employer-based health plan, but now the other solution that you talked about and how that relates to productivity, presenteeism, and how I feel about my employer. Talk to me. Like, I know you have those conversations with employers. When, when we think about these types of not normal strategy, might not have that logo in the top right corner that everyone's so familiar with. But when we talk about it with the major goal of this time period that we're in right now, link those two things together for me, because I don't think a lot of people really do link those things. 
Well, I think right now is is the best opportunity, right? People are referring to the time period we're in right now as one of the most difficult, and it is for many, many reasons, but it's also the most incredible opportunity that we have to change people's minds. Because if we can walk into a group, and, and especially now, right, when people are burdened with healthcare concerns that maybe not haven't even happened yet, just things that we're, we're, we're expecting because of the dynamic that exists right now. If we can walk into an employer group and, and give them an option that's not bankrupting their company, bankrupting their employees, the hardest part of that is teaching. It truly is. It, it's convincing someone that it's going to be okay. It's convincing employees that it's going to be okay. People are uh, people are afraid of, of insurance plans. You know, people are considering taking jobs. And the, one of the first things they ask is, well, what kind of insurance just in case I get sick, right? And what many of them don't understand is that the insurance that they have available to them is not really going to help them all that much if they have one of those big incidents. It's really not. So whatever security they're looking at on a piece of paper when they sign up, is not going to do them much good when the car crash happens or the illness happens. And so it, it's, it's just this wonderful opportunity to start changing minds and to give people questions like, what does a benefit really look like to you? And that, that's what we do at ePowered, right? Someone asked me the other day, what do you actually do at ePowered? And my answer was, we, we ask questions and we measure tolerance. We don't sell insurance. We don't sell benefit plans. We ask, what is most important to you as an employee? What, what makes you feel most safe and most secure? And then we build it from there. And, and it, it's, it's an incredible way to turn, turn the conversation around and get employees back to being engaged with purchasing healthcare because they have to do it all the time. And they're relying on an insurance card to do it for them. And it's not really giving them very good results. It's still putting people into bankruptcy. It's still keeping people sick. So, so you know, I, I know what you're talking about because obviously <laughs> every day and I, but, but let's, let's bring this down. You have a million and, and 10 results and, and clients in your head. Pick one and, okay. and, and, and let's, let's run that through. What type of industry was this client or is this client? What were they doing before? What struggles were they trying to solve? What did you do? What was the outcome? Let's run because I want to like, you know, kind of really personify this for either an advisor who's like, what she sounds like is amazing because I got to imagine, and this happened to me 15 years doing it the normal way doesn't make you feel good when all you're doing every year is putting lipstick on a pig. Um, and so I got to think from the audience members, the advisors are going to love this because I think everybody wakes up with good intentions. It's now, how do you fulfill those? And then employers who, who heard that are like, wow, no one's ever talked to me like that. Let's, let's personify that for the audience. Yeah. So here's, here's how it works. Okay. And this is my very best advice to any advisor that's listening. Find out who your client is before you offer them anything at all. We've and, and I've I have fallen flat on my face at too many times to count. Where I've gone in, I've assumed I knew what the solution was. I've put it in place, and someone's done a total three hundred and sixty the next year because it's hard. So we have a client. Um, they're in right in the middle of the country. They're fairly blue collar, and they just couldn't sustain the increases anymore. It doesn't matter how many how much reserve you have as an employer. At some point 
it is not affordable anymore. That's, that's it. You've reached a breaking point. I would advise any employer on this call to not get to that point before you call. <laughs> Try to do it a couple of years in advance because we, we that's what we're getting, right? We're getting employers who are like, crap, I have no other options left. I got to do something drastic. But you don't want to start at drastic because if your culture can't tolerate drastic, you're going to have a terrible experience and you're going to go back four steps. So what a consultant should be doing is measuring the tolerance. How much change can this group, the group as a whole, tolerate? And just change one thing. One thing. Switch out your PBM, your pharmacy benefit manager. Switch it out to a transparent pass-through, whatever, whatever buzzwords you love. Just do that one thing. And then next year, once you have all the transparency and all the data, tackle the next biggest cost. Change one thing. And do it again and do it again. And that's what I do with all my clients. Now, my partner is a little more drastic than me. He goes all out. He rips the Band-Aid off. But I firmly believe, and I never used to believe this. I used to say the crawl, walk, run doesn't work. Just rip off the Band-Aid, get it over with. I have come to learn. I've come to learn and grow that sometimes you have to meet people where they're at and walk the rest of the way with them. So just change one thing, even if it's a little bit scary. It might be your pharmacy might be your your third-party administrator, might be going self-funding for the first time ever, but just do one thing one year and then do it again the next year and do it again the next year. It's called consistency, people. (laughs) I am, you know, it's really funny. I I think folks like, because I'm in the same boat, like why would you settle for one when you could have five, right? Like five is always better than one. Like it's like, you know, why would you dip your foot in the pool? The pool's amazing, jump in the middle and- that's not how change management works. It's not how most people work. That word change is, is a scary thing. So I too am very now at uh, last couple of years about, okay, well, we got to start somewhere because if, if, if at the end of the day, which I know that you subscribe to this, if the mission is actually getting change and you're only asking people to jump in the middle of the pool for all the people that never got in the pool, they're not changing. So at least if they're dipping their toe in the water and they're starting to get in the water, they're going to realize that change is actually producing phenomenal results. Um, You know, I um, obviously follow, you know, stuff that you guys put out um, and and things. I I know that in your philosophy and my philosophy in, in the right philosophy approaching health benefits, it's a win-win. The employer wins, the, the member wins, and, and quite honestly, a lot of times the healthcare community wins. Talk about that, that overall genesis that, you know, a client's so used to every single year, their renewal comes out at a certain number, eventually it gets down, they pass on some more costs through taking more out of their paycheck, or increasing deductibles. And eventually it was a very, I win, you lose. And really everybody's lose, lose, lose. Like nobody wins in that situation. Talk about the approach that you guys take in that it is actually a, a win for everybody, maybe except the major insurance companies. Outside of that, everybody else is winning. Yeah, it's a, it's a collaborative approach. And I firmly believe that this is the kind of environment and you know this better than ever. You live it all the time. I I watch your stuff. I read your stuff. I've been inspired by you for years. We can't do it by ourselves. And so we, we try really hard to identify the goals up front of the employer. And we all, we start with how much, how much money do you want to save? And they'll throw out some outrageous number. And then I'll say, how much change are you willing 
to, to tolerate. And then that's different. That's different, right? So now we're like balancing out the scales a little. Okay, here's what we can do for you. But many times people don't believe it because if you're an employer, especially a larger group employer, you've had nothing but increases and empty promises your entire health purchasing career. Like it has never been any different. And so we struggle. We struggle to prove ourselves. And for that reason, we put our compensation on the line. And when you tell someone, when you're sitting in front of someone and saying, if I can't do right by you, you don't have to pay me. That very much changes the conversation. If I'm willing to say to you, you don't have to pay me if I don't meet your goals. Now we're having a different kind of conversation. And so uh, we, we start right there, just one-on-one conversation. And then we bring in the right people. You know, I'm going to give a little shout out to Eugene Starks. He's the president of NAHU. He did an interview the other day that I watched and he said something so simple. He said, it's all about the fit. And I was like, yes, yes, of course it is. Like, you know, one TPA is not going to work for every single employer. A Lester Morales is not going to work for everyone. And Emma Fox isn't going to work for everyone. And you have to be able to be honest with yourself about that and determine that up front so you don't do bad by your clients. Um, and so we're, <laughs> I would say, uh, maybe you're going to segue into this. If someone truly wants to learn everything that's available to them, every strategy that they could deploy, they should take my course probably to find well, out step one, step two, or step 10. <laughs> yeah. So, so we were going to go in that. I was going to comment on what you said because, um, you know, about that fit. Um, and it's so interesting, right? Because, so many of us as advisors are chasing whatever, you know, whatever car that, you know, will stop and let me talk to them. We're going to do, but the reality of it is I'm not like, I'm too energetic for a lot of people. There's a lot of people that are like, Hey, that, that, that frat boy is too much. Like I've literally had people say hey, that frat boy is too much. So I get it. And quite honestly, on the reciprocal, my old coach, Steve Napolitan used to say, you need to look for your wow, because when you get off the phone and you are energized to work with that person and they believe in you and you believe in them, that relationship is so magical, but magical for all sense of the word magical. Both people get better results out of it. Their energy level is there. We've all had the client that we took on because we needed the revenue or we did whatever. And our staff hates them. Everybody hates them. You get off the phone <laughs> with them and you're just in a pissed off mood the rest of the day. And the reality of it is, is for what? The only reason you're doing it is for the dollar. And quite honestly, you know, we're so mission-based in everything else that dollar really, really, you know, isn't the big deal. So I, I, I always like focus. It's a lot harder to do in, in practicalness because that green dollar is, um, you know, such a valuable thing. But, but the reality of it is, um, so you hinted on it, which you stole my thunder. We were going to absolutely talk about it, <laughs> but you created a course. So, um, you know, uh, I'm going to speak at your conference here in a couple of days. And, and uh, you know, I use it as a, you know, contornoism, right? But that imposter syndrome, there's a lot of people who they might believe, they might have heard, they might be able to say the five bullet points. But at the end of the day, it, it's, uh, you know, I'm a very terrible golfer, but the times in my life that I've gotten pretty good, it's because I took repetitions, right? I was at the range practicing. Talk about uh, your new designation, your new course, and, and what's it all about? Well, first of all, thank you so much for speaking at our symposium, Lester. You are so, I'm so excited. I, I saw you talk at Ascend and your energy is 
is like crackling in the room. So I'm super excited. Thank you for agreeing to do that. Um, I have been working for the last two years on developing uh, this course that was recently credentialed by the Validation Institute, which I got to tell you, for any young women in our industry that are listening, it's it's an incredible feeling to feel... To, to feel validated in general is amazing. To be professionally validated um, is, is even better. Um, but the reason I did it is because I kind of shared this with you before we started recording, but I, I, I'm great at consulting, but it's not my passion. My passion is mentoring and teaching people how to, how to change and how to manage change. And so I created this course that first was intended to be just how does reference-based pricing work? Because that's kind of my specialty. And then from there, I realized, and you probably know this better than anyone because you're in this field too, it's just one part of the puzzle. Reference-based pricing, you can't deploy that by itself. It's disastrous. You got to have a lot of other stuff going on in order to make that work. And so the course kept expanding and expanding. And um, I took it around to a few organizations and and I eventually I settled with the Validation Institute. I couldn't think of a, of a better organization to credential this. And so it takes you through five modules. Um, it's everything from what really is the definition of self-funding? How do you apply advanced stop-loss strategies to alternative payment methods? Uh, how do you do direct contracting? What's a single case agreement? It, it, if you are an advisor um, and you take the course either in person or, or on the learning platform, by the end of it, you'll be mentally exhausted, granted, but you'll have at least one thing that you can offer to your clients after you have that tolerance conversation that you can offer them. Um, and so it's, it's an investment of time. It, it's, you know, a solid five to six hours of curriculum, but I, I hope people will find incredible value in it. Well, you know, and, and I'll steal a little of the thunder that I'm going to stay, you know, at your event. The reality of it is I'm so tired of our industry, whether it's the purchasers, whether it's us as advisors, and everybody is tired of how it works today. Everybody, there's not a person that should raise their hand and be super proud about what the heck we have created as an industry <laughs> and what employers allow to happen. And then it's like, we have these conversations about how to fix it and, and excuses. That seems like a lot of work. It's like, it's like it literally fundamentally makes my skin crawl because if the water is right there and I have to take a couple steps. Well, yeah, I'm not in the water, but I don't like being here. So like, I got to go get in the water. Like, it's just such an interesting thing. It drives me. I love that. Emma, if, if, if you were going to leave people as we close up here, if you were going to leave people with a piece of advice, you could segment your advice and say, hey, employers, here's your piece of advice. Advisors, you could give everybody a global piece of advice. But you have been on the wholesale side where brokers were your clients. You collaborate with brokers today. You are an advisor today. You talk to employers. You talk to docs. You talk to hospitals. So I think you've seen a lot. What, what's the piece of advice that you, you would give? And again, if you want to segment it, that's fine, too. I think I would say, so I will segment it a little bit. I would say if you're a parent on this phone call, no matter what you do for a profession, trust your intuition, truly. I know it's it's not easy having kids, especially when you have a kid that is neuro 
diverse or whatever you want to call it. Maybe you have a different issue. Just trust your intuition more than a facility. If you're an employer, I want to go back to what you said, Lester, because it was, it was brilliant. You, you explained what change really means. And it doesn't mean jumping into the pool and drowning yourself, but it does mean getting into the water a little bit. And people who say, if you're an employer who's been saying year after year, it's, it's too much work for this level of change, understand that it's just as much work to come up with the money later to pay for the increases you're going to continue to get. You're just trading one for the other. It's, it's not less work. It's just at what point is your back going to be up against the wall where you have no other choice? At least at the moment, you probably have a choice. And to the advisors, the one piece of advice that people are sick of hearing me say is work with other advisors. We're all supposed to be competitors. We've, we've got this idea in our head that we're all competitors. We're not. I, I can promise you that people like Lester have helped me. I've called you, Lester. I don't even know. I've texted you asking for advice. I know everything I know because of other advisors. And so if you're an advisor, share the wealth and, and take some in return. I promise you, you'll be a lot better off for it. You, you know, and, 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 and again, I, it, it, it absolutely just like baffles my mind when, again, we don't like what's going on right now. Like nobody does. And so... Like, oh, I can go at this alone, right? It's that African proverb, right? If you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. Uh, and, and that's what, you know, I hope that these types of podcasts, your event that you're about to host, uh, you know, is is there to do is like to spark, you know, these collaborative, collaborative you know, opportunities for us to do good. And I can't imagine you know, anything better than getting up every day, knowing that today I'm going to do good. Like that's a freaking amazing thing that I, it's why I'm always wired every day. I know that we do a good job doing good. So it, it's great. Emma, people fell in love with you during this, uh, you know, 42 minutes or whatever we've been <laughs> chatting. Um, if they wanted to learn more about you, follow you, get in t- contact with you, where can somebody learn more about Emma Fox? Just go to LinkedIn. I'm always on there some way, somehow. You'll you'll find me or go to epowerbenefits.com. You'll find me there or just bother Lester. He knows my phone number. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll make sure we link your LinkedIn to the show notes. And for my Impact Healthcare crowd, thank you. Uh, I have been blown away. Um, people will, uh, when you don't even know people are listening, they will send you a message. I, I had a guy I haven't seen in seven years. He's like, I just heard this episode with so-and-so. I just want to let you know you're doing amazing stuff. I'm like, I didn't even know that person. Does. So it's just, it's just great. So I just super thankful that people are paying attention. I just hope that it's spreading the collaboration, uh, yeah, because we bring um, amazing people on like Emma. So Emma, thank you so much for, uh, for being our guest. For my Impact Healthcare crowd, uh, again, download these episodes at impacthealthcare.fm. If you want a text message every single time an episode comes out, you can be part of our text community at 813-537-6992. And uh, Emma, thank you for being an amazing mother, uh, an amazing leader. I'm imagining David would say an amazing new wife. Congratulations on all of that. And I will see you in a couple weeks in Phoenix. Thank you so much, Lester. Talk soon.
You've been listening to Impact Healthcare, people and strategies that are disrupting the health benefits industry with Lester Morales. Remember, the journey to getting 20% savings on your healthcare benefits starts with total transparency. Visit impacthealthcare.fm backslash journey to access leading industry case studies, compelling member stories, and to check out all of our podcast episodes. That's impacthealthcare.fm backslash journey. Remember to subscribe to the Impact Healthcare podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts.